Earlier in the year, we started a series entitled Acts of the Holy Spirit, and we're coming back to finish that series. We broke it up into two parts, coming back to finish that this fall, and so we're going to be in Acts chapter 12, moving through the rest of the book. So if you have a Bible, please turn to Acts chapter 12, if you would like to follow along in a pew Bible, that's page 1094, 1094. Where we are in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus, after his resurrection, told his disciples that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But I want you to stay in Jerusalem until you receive power from the Holy Spirit so that you can be my witnesses. And then Jesus, we see there in chapter 1, we see his ascension into heaven at the right hand of the Father, where he continues his ministry, primarily the ministry of intercession. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls upon the church, and the church is empowered by the Holy Spirit like never before. Not, not only now does the Spirit come upon people, but is residing within those who are followers of Jesus as they take Jesus' message to the whole world. In chapters 3 through 7, we see the early church in Jerusalem, and we see many different things going on there among them and their community, but also persecution that is starting to take place. By the time we get to Acts 8 and 9, we see Saul, that's his Hebrew name, Paul, his Gentile name. We normally call him Paul. Uh, We see Saul persecuting the church. But the one who persecutes the church becomes a follower of Jesus in Acts chapter 9. And the world is really never the same from that point on. In Acts 10 and 11, we see the gospel reach out to the Gentiles for the first time through the ministry of Peter as Cornelius and his household are converted. And so the gospel is spreading even in the midst of the earlier persecution that was taking place. And where we are is in Acts chapter 12, and we see a new wave of persecution taking place in the church. Right now, persecution is taking place all around the world. In fact, about 340 million Christians live every day with what is considered a high level of persecution, which means that they can be persecuted for their faith at any given moment. That's one out of every eight Christians on the planet. The number is much higher as it pertains to persecution if you go to lower levels of persecution or possible persecution. And what we see in Acts chapter 12 is still happening today. As Neil mentioned, I just returned yesterday from a country in the Middle East, North Africa region, and we were there working with refugees from another country. They've had to leave their home country because of tribal fighting and persecution against Christians. And so what we see taking place here in Acts chapter 12 is not just this far bygone thing that happened in history, my friends. It's happening right now, right now. And there are people all over the world who are living out their faith faithfully. And so I've entitled this message, How to Live for God When Persecution is Happening. How to Live for God When Persecution is Happening. And many times us, we, in our country, we sit here and we say, you know, well, you know, I'm really not persecuted or something. Well, we need to read the news a little better. It's happening. If 9-11 reminded us of anything is that terrorism and persecution can happen on our soul as well. And it's happening all around the world every single day. And so the events of Acts 12 are not far removed from us. Not only that, Jesus said in Luke 21, 17, He says, you will be hated for my namesake. We like to cling to the promises of Jesus. That's one He made us. It was earlier in John 15, 18, when Jesus told His disciples, He said, just remember that when the world hates you, they hated me first. And then in Matthew 24, verse 10, Jesus tells His disciples, in the last days, the love of many will grow cold. There He's speaking about the church. 
The love of many will grow cold. And not only that, brother will turn against brother and sister against sister and there will be hate. Even within the church, there will be a falling away. And whenever we see seeds of that take place through division and dissension within the church, we, we know Jesus promised that, that that's going to take place. So persecution can come from within the church. It can also come from outside the church. The context of Acts 12 is that there is this new wave of persecution taking place. The earlier stoning of Stephen scattered the church, and as the church scattered, the gospel spread. In Acts 12, it's years later, after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection and ascension, but we find ourselves in the exact same time of the year of those events. And so as persecution is growing, again, so does the church. Herod is mentioned in verse 1. The Herod that is being talked about here is Herod Agrippa I, the grandson of Herod the Great. And what made Herod so great was not that he was a great man, but that he built big buildings. That's what he wanted to be known for. And Herod Agrippa I grew up in Rome. He was friends with Caligula and Claudius. Both became Roman emperors. And he ruled the land from the Dead Sea across, the Galilee, uh, across Galilee all the way to Caesarea Philippi. He ruled a large area of land. From history, we know that uh, Agrippa I died in 44 AD, which means the events of Acts chapter 1 through 12 take place over about a 12-year period because we are in 44 AD in Acts chapter 12. Let's pick up this story as it was read for us earlier by Phil in verse 1, and it says, About the time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Notice that phrase, laid violent hands on some. Jesus actually told his followers that this would happen. Back in Luke 21, Luke 21 verse 12, Jesus tells his disciples, They will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and to prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. But Jesus adds in verse 13, he says, This will be your opportunity to bear witness. The world's persecution, Jesus tells his first followers, will be your opportunity to bear witness of me. And so what we see take place here, verse 1 again, about that time, here the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Verse 2, he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. It's just stated matter-of-factly, this is what he did. He had James killed, and he was killed with the sword. You know, if you want to kill a movement, you start by killing its leaders. And remember, we're around the same time of the year in which Jesus was crucified, and it's as if uh, Herod has come back around, and he wants to remind the Christians who really is in power here. But something happens, we see in verses 3 through 5. After he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword, verse 3, and when he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. He sees that the Jews like this. They, they don't like this new movement that's taking place. These people who are Christians, these people who are part of the way, following Jesus, the rabbi. So he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread, again, same time when Jesus was crucified. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison. Remember, Jesus said this was going to happen in Luke 21. Delivering him over to four squadrons of soldiers to guard him, intending, after the Passover, to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison. But notice what the church is doing. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Right here we see this contrast between Herod's actions and the church's actions. 
Notice that Herod is wanting to please the people. He wants to please the people because he wants their praise. He wants their worship. So he does what he can in order to make them happy, no matter the cost and no matter whose lives it cost. But he does this to make them happy and please them so that they will praise him. Notice that Herod, too, he's following out his plans. He's making his own plans. He puts Peter in prison. And then the text tells us that he intends to bring him out before the Jews after the Passover. So Herod is not just flying by the seat of his pants here. No, he's planning this out, how he's going to do this to receive more praise and worship from the people around him. And then not only that, Herod is relying on his power, the power that he has as king, that he has as his title in this Herodian dynasty that he is a part of. And the result of this is persecution. Herod persecutes anybody who does not let him have his way. And not only that, he persecutes people in order to get praise from others. But the church is going about this time very differently. The church, they're not wanting to please people, they're wanting to please God. Because God is God. He is the resurrected Lord who has changed human history forever and they see that. The church is not making their plans like Herod's making his plans. Oh no, they, they want God's plans. They're seeking the Lord. Lord, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to be about while we have this life here? The church is not trusting in their power as Herod did. No, they're trusting in God's power. They know they need the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives if they're going to accomplish the mission that Jesus has given them. To be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And so the result of what the church is doing here is that they are praising God in any and every situation and they are earnestly praying for each other. They are earnestly praying as persecution is breaking out. Notice that when persecution breaks out, the church doesn't get a protest line. They go to God in prayer. There's a big difference. They're not trying to win the masses over. They're going to God who can change hearts and minds and people's eternal destinies. I love the poem that says, Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. They know this. And so they go to the Lord in prayer asking for God to move in powerful ways. And so that's where they are. They're praying for Peter. They're gathered in a house praying for Peter. (laughs) And right here again, the question is, how do we live for God when persecution is happening? We see that in verses 6 and following. The first thing that we see, the church is praying Peter's in prison. He's surrounded by these guards. And the first thing that we see, if we're going to live for God in the midst of persecution, we have to have trusting obedience. Trusting obedience. Notice what the text says in verse 6. When Herod was about to bring him out, meaning Peter, on that very night, that very night, the next day, Herod's going to bring Peter out before the crowd. He's going to kill him because he knows it pleases them. On that very night, Peter was sleeping. Between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. Now, listen, I don't know about you, (laughs) but if I know that the next day I'm going to be brought before this crowd that wants me killed, and a king who is bloodthirsty and, and will do it, I don't know if I'd be sleeping. But Peter is. He's completely at peace. He's resting. Why? Well, he knows the promise that Jesus made him. At the end of John 21, in John 21, Jesus is talking with Peter after his resurrection. He says, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, I love you. And he says, I want you to feed my sheep. 
He asked him again, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. And then Jesus looks at him and says in verse 18, John 21, 18, Truly, truly, I say to you, Peter, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. I mean, you would get up in the day, you would dress yourself, and you would just go and do whatever you wanted to do. But when you are old, notice the word old, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And then verse 19 interprets verse 18 and says, This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. But Jesus made Peter a promise. And the promise was that he would grow old and that one day he w- it would come. And that he would have to give his life for his Savior. He would die a martyr's death. And so Peter is in prison and he's just sleeping. And his whole attitude as he's trusting Jesus, he's just saying, well, if it's tomorrow, it's tomorrow. If it's not tomorrow, the Lord will do something and it won't be tomorrow. Again, this is a few years later, but Peter knows this promise that Jesus has made him that when you are old, yes, you will give your life for me. And in this moment, Peter is clinging to that promise and he is at perfect rest and peace and he is sawing logs between those soldiers, chains and all. And we see this trusting obedience in Peter. Look at verse 7. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and light shone in the cell. Peter sleeping so so deeply that the light doesn't even wake him up. And so the next verse. So the angel struck Peter on the side and woke him up. (laughs) That's deep sleep, people. That is deep sleep. Angel shows up. Light shines. He's just... The angel struck him. I don't know if that means he kicked his foot or poked him in the side. I don't know. But he, had, he struck him in the side, woke him up, and said, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. Verse 8, And the angel said to him, Dress yourself. Put on your sandals. I'm sure Peter's a little disoriented at this point. But notice it says, And he did so. And he did so. The angel spoke, and Peter did so. And he said to him, wrap a cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him, trusting obedience. You see it? In this moment, it's probably very disorienting. Peter gets hit, kicked, punched, something. Woken up, he gets five commands. Get up quickly, dress yourself, put on your sandals, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And Peter obeys each one. He obeys each one. Not only do we need trusting obedience, though. We see that in Peter. We also need faith. Because notice, Peter is so disoriented, he's not really sure what's taking place here. Notice it says, the angel in verse 8 said to him, dress yourself, put on your sandals, and so he did. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And then verse 9, and he went out and followed him. And then it says, he did not know that what was being done was by by the angel was real. But thought he was seeing a vision. That's one way of saying Peter may have thought he was just dreaming all of this. But he trusted and he obeyed, even if it was a vision, even if it was a dream. Notice it says, verse 10, when they had passed the first guard and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along the street. And immediately the angel left him. What we see in Peter here is that there is this trusting obedience. He he simply, because he trusts Jesus, he is set free to obey. 
And he's obeying the angel of the Lord as he is leading him. And again, he's not even sure if he's fully awake at this point, but he's obeying and he's taking every step by faith. Notice that the gate just opened for them. You know, it's God's job to open and close doors. It's our job to walk by faith through them. Peter he took one step over the first guard. Another step over the next guard. They make their way out of the prison. Don't know how long that took. They came to the gate that would release them to the city. It just opened before him. All of that was the Lord's supernatural work. Peter was just called to do some ordinary things like get up, dress himself, put on his sandals, wrap his cloak around and follow. But he did so by faith. You know, it's God who does the extraordinary. And many times he just gives us ordinary instructions to follow while he does the extraordinary. And so we see here that there's trusting obedience. There's faith on Peter's part. And then we see confirmation in verse 11. It says, when Peter came to himself, (laughs) he said, now I am sure, meaning the angel left him. He's like, oh, okay, maybe this is real. He says, now I am sure the Lord has sent his angel to rescue me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people, all that the Jewish people were expecting. There was this moment of confirmation that happened in Peter's life. You know, God tends to make himself known after our faith is shown in our trusting obedience. So many times we say, God, I know you're with me. God, I know you're there. If you'll just take that obstacle and remove it. If you'll just remove that, I'll know it's you. Many times God says, well, I'll know you're mine when you walk through it. And when you get to the other side, I'll show you that it was me. And then notice what happens next, verse 12. When he realized this, that God had done this and it was real. He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. This is John Mark now being introduced, where many were gathered together and were praying. They're praying for Peter right now. Look at verse 13. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, I'm sure Peter's standing there knocking at the door of the gateway while they're in there praying, going, Lord, you you opened this back there. Could you not just open this one too? It says, a servant girl named Rhoda came and answered, recognizing Peter's voice. In her joy, she did not open the gate, (laughs) but ran and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. She heard Peter's voice, recognized it was him, and she's so overwhelmed, she didn't let Peter in. She just runs back in, telling them that Peter is there. Notice verse 15, they said to her, you are out of your mind. Now, what were they praying for? (laughs) Peter. He said, you're out of your mind, but she kept insisting that it was so. And they were saying to her, it's his angel. Meaning, they probably already killed him and he's now showing up to us as an angel. But Peter continued knocking. <laughs> I love that image. I, I mean, I'd just be like, Lord, can you not open? Open. You know, it doesn't work this time. He just keeps knocking. It says, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. Wow. God answered our prayer. He really did. Verse 16, but Peter, it says, or verse 17, but motioning to them with his hand to be quiet, he didn't want to be caught, he described to them how the Lord brought him out of prison. And he said, tell these things to James and his brothers, and to the brothers, meaning the church. And then he departed and went to another place. Notice that Peter has just been released by prison in this miraculous way, but he takes time to stop by Mary's house, he, and he finds them there praying. I don't know if he knows they're praying or not, but he finds them there praying, and he stops for this moment of celebration. He stops just to share what the Lord had done. 
so that they would know that their prayers really are powerful and effective. And they could see Him and see that the Lord has done this thing. You see, when you're living in persecution... Yes, you, there, it takes trusting obedience. It takes keep, we have to keep moving by faith. Yes, God confirms that He is with us along the way. But when you're living in persecution, you also have to take moments to pause and celebrate the victories for what God has done. But not only that, there's three things we've got to remember. As the story continues to unfold, we see in verse 18, it says, Now when the day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and he did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Peter starts killing the guards that were supposed to be guarding him. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, or Sidon, excuse me. And they came to him with one accord, having persuaded uh, Blastus, the king's chamberlain. And they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. Notice that Herod is so angry, he's taking it out on the surrounding areas. He's withholding food for them. That's how much of a tyrant he was. Then verse 21, on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered this oration to them. The speech. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. This is what Herod wants. He wants people to see him as a God. But notice what happens. Verse 23, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he's eaten by worms and breathed his last. Notice that this starts with James being killed. It ends with Herod sitting on his throne, receiving the praise and the worship from the people. And what this reminds us of in Herod's death is that God's justice will prevail. While we live in the midst of persecution, God's justice will prevail. And God's enemies are at best momentarily successful, but never eternally successful. And right here, Herod is twisting the glory of God. He's wanting to receive praise through pain and persecution, the pain and persecution of other people, where God is praised because He is a God of healing and hope. And He is distorting what it means to be someone who sits on a throne and receives praise and honor and glory. And God says, no, that's not how it works. And again, as we live in persecution, we have to remember that God's justice will prevail. But not only that, verse 24, but the Word of God increased and multiplied. The Word of God increased and multiplied. As all of this persecution is taking place, as Peter has been set free from prison but now is on the run, God's Word continues to be multiplied. You see, this is the ultimate result that every true believer wants. At the end of the day, as much as we have um, make, you know, a lot to do about church and what church means, at the end of the day, every true disciple simply wants God's Word to be multiplied on the planet. I was just in a country, I told you, which I can't name, and I was watching a video that happened two months ago in another country that I can't name. And in that country, it is illegal, illegal to tell anybody or even to say the name of Jesus. And I was watching a video of a 15-year-old girl getting baptized. And I watched the video, and the next picture came up. And it was her hugging the man who had baptized her. And then the next picture came up, and it was her holding up a cell phone. And the cell phone is in a language I can't understand. And I said, what is that? What's this picture with the cell phone? 
And the pastor said, all right, well, that made us a little nervous. I said, what do you mean? They said, well, she gets out of the baptismal pool. She drives off. And immediately she says, I have to tell people about Jesus. And so she got on her social media account and told everybody, today I made Jesus the Lord of my life and I received his baptism. An American that I was with, he said, I heard about that story. Is she still alive? What a question. We make posts on social media and the question is how many likes did we get? She made a post on social media and the question was, is she still alive? And I can tell you some of the responses she got was not good. And the answer to that question was yes. But her family has disowned her. But she has to tell people about Jesus. See, true disciples want God's word to spread. And we see that happening here even in the midst of persecution. And not only that, verse 25, And Bartimaeus and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Notice these names are mentioned. You see, in the midst of persecution, yes, God's justice will prevail. Not only that, God's word will continue to spread. Not only that, God will continue to raise up disciples. God will continue to raise up disciples because God is always going to have a witness on the earth. The question is, will it be people like you and people like me? That's the question. Will we be a part of being a witness for Jesus? You know, many times here in our country, we're very aware of God. We drive by churches. We have access to any Bible translation that we want. We even get to pick and choose and fight about it. What a luxury. And many times we're aware of God or aware of the things of God. And we can go about talking and disputing those things at a leisurely pace. But many times, even though we're aware, we're not committed. And sometimes we're not committed because we're scared of persecution taking place. We look at texts like this and we see, see, James was killed. Yeah, Peter got away for a little while, but ultimately Peter's killed too. Let me remind you that Herod was killed as well. Peter was killed later. James was killed in this moment, and so was Herod. The difference was why. Herod died because he trusted and followed and obeyed himself. He was his God. James died because he trusted and obeyed the Lord. Peter died later because he trusted and obeyed the Lord. The church continued to spread because they trusted and obeyed the Lord. See, the difference, everybody dies. The difference is why they died. And your why determines your where. Why you give your life determines where you spend eternity. We know what it's like. We have a feeling of what it's like to experience persecution and terrorism. We know that because of 9-11. While I was in a faraway place this past week, I met a man. And I can tell you his name because there's no connection to him. Mumrez. And I said, Mumrez, how did you sense a call to ministry? He was in his country trying to get Bibles out to as many people as possible. 
And he just smiled and he said, oh, well, I, get, I was called into ministry on 9-11. I said, 9-11? He said, yes, I was in New York. He said, I was, a, uh, I was an artist. And he would, he would do these paintings and these art projects that would take months to complete. He said, yeah, I'm just really good with freehand. He just said, oh, good for you. You know, he said, but it was 9-11. I said, what happened on 9-11? He said, I was five blocks from when the first plane hit. He said, we hurried up and we got back. I was living in um, an area community that spoke my language in New Jersey. So we hurried up and we got back. He said, when I got back to New Jersey, there were people of a certain religious group celebrating. He said, this shouldn't be. Jesus means more to me than this. So he gave up his very lucrative career, went back to his home country to reach that particular religious group of people. It struck me that persecution is what compelled him back to spread God's word. And again, the question for you and me is how would we respond? What is our why? Why are we here? Why do we pray? Why do we sing? Why do we come in on mornings like this? Why do we see who Jesus is and are we compelled by His love to share His Word with others? My friends, let us be committed, especially in the midst of persecution because those are moments when God does something beautiful and His Word spreads as His church stands strong. Amen? Amen. Father, would You help us be that kind of church? Help our why be that we give our lives for You each and every day. We know where we're going to spend eternity, yes. But let us live this life for You, no matter what comes our way. In Jesus' good and powerful name, Amen. As Pastor Chris has talked a lot about trusting obedience, if we place our trust in Christ, all of our trust, as our next hymn, 